This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. I'll be with you for the next hour or so when Edward Hayden comes along. And just a reminder for you, you can get your questions in for Shirley Lanigan on the Darren Hayes Motors contact line. That's 083 306 9696. And Edward will also have a careers guidance teacher from Carlow Academy to help all you students grappling with CEO and so on. This morning on The Bottom Line, we'll be visiting at the Pembroke Hotel in Kilkenny and hearing about how the business is adapting as COVID turns tourism and hospitality on its head. Carol Faulkner from TSSG, that's the Telecommunications Software and Systems Support Group, which is part of Waterford IT and which has a base in Kilkenny, will talk to us about tech solutions for business. Porrick Cribben, Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, will join us to talk about the challenges of reopening being faced by the wet pubs of Carlock Kilkenny. And we'll be hearing all about Taste Local, a campaign being undertaken by Kilkenny and Carlo local authorities with their respective local enterprise offices. But first, to talk about what's been a week which has seen truly eye-popping economic statistics which tell the story of economic upheaval, the likes of which we've never seen, I'm joined on Zoom by economist Jim Power. Jim, give us the top lines of the Exchequer figures released during the week. Uh, okay, the growth numbers for the second quarter um, were, were always going to be fascinating because we've seen internationally over the last um, few weeks uh, second quarter growth numbers coming through and they're absolutely phenomenal in terms of the negative numbers that are being delivered. The euro area, for example, contracted by 11.8% in the second quarter. That was the largest ever decline. So we awaited the Irish numbers with interest. And in the event, uh, they didn't disappoint in the sense that GDP contracted by 6.1%. Okay, And to put that in context, that is the largest ever quarterly decline since records began. Just on that, Jim, um, on that, Jim, put put all this sort of stuff in context. Is this bigger than kind of like wars and stuff like that? The contraction that we've seen in economies around Europe, is it bigger than wartime? Um, It it pretty much is. Yeah, absolutely. And, And the key reason is because, you know, during wars, economic activity, a lot of it keeps going, you know, manufacturing um, always increases, food production always increases. Whereas this time around, what we saw in the second quarter, very unusual, large swathes of economies were literally shut down. Yeah. You know, and we've got dramatic declines. Uh, but to put, to put the Irish number in, in some sort of context, I mean, the GDP decline of 6.1% is the second lowest decline in the European Union. So on the surface, uh, the Irish economy actually did relatively well in the second quarter. And were a lot then, of people surprised by that? Uh, no, they weren't. Act- well, they, if they were, they shouldn't have been because um, the one thing that's been very clear is that the multinational part of the economy growing very, very strongly. Um, for, for, for example, the, um, the export numbers for the first half of the year showed that the exports of chemical and related products, which is pharmaceuticals, basically 
which accounts for 66% of our total exports. It was up by over 14%. So the multinational part of the economy is doing very, very well still. And that has been reflected in recent weeks also in in terms of very strong corporate tax returns. So that's that part of the economy doing well. But then if you look at the domestic economy, uh, the story is very, very different. So for example, um, arts, entertainment and other services, which is, yeah, well, it's, it's precisely that, arts and entertainment, that declined by 65.5%. Consumer spending declined by almost 20%. Uh, the construction sector declined by 38%. Distribution, transport, hotels, restaurants, that's the retail and the accommodation and food services sector. A lot of tourism there declined by 30%. So the domestic parts of the economy absolutely collapsed. But there should be no surprises there because we know what happened from the middle of March onwards, you know, with the closure of many retailers. Um, international tourism has obviously died. Um, all arts events, etc., have been cancelled. So there, there are no surprises there. Um, you know, for parts of the Irish economy, it was an absolutely dreadful quarter. Um, but there are a few kinks of hope here, okay? One is that, um, you know, not surprisingly, when you shut down an economy, you're going to get those sort of dramatic numbers. But alternatively, then, when the economy starts to open up, you start to see a strong rebound in those numbers. So if I just take throw a few statistics at you that I think tell that story very well. In March, retail sales and retail sales is the physical stuff we buy. Okay, it's yeah, yeah. cars, it's food, it's clothes, etc. In March, and half the month of March was shut down, we saw a decline of 12.4%. In April, we saw a decline of 43.7%, which is dramatic. But then in May, as things started to reopen, there was growth of 32.4%, growth of 38.6% in June. And then it started to level off in July because we caught up again. And in fact, the level of retail sales in July was actually higher by about 4% than in February, which is just before the lockdown. So, you know, no surprises there. When an economy is shut down, or parts of it, you get a collapse in activity. We're but deep then, in, into quarter three at the moment, Jim. Uh, any idea of of the performance at the moment? Are we still deep in recession ter- territory? For no, I, I, I don't believe we are deep in recession territory. I, I think actually the third quarter will see positive growth again. Okay, uh, coming off a very low base, obviously, but we will see growth. I believe in the third quarter. <laughs> Uh, because things have reopened again. Uh, the one bit of the economy that you know continues to seriously suffer is the tourism piece, particularly the international tourism piece. Uh, but most of the rest of the economy, um, you know, is is coming back. One of the interesting aspects of what has happened year to date, well, up to the end of August, is on the tax side, which tells us something really important. Um, we saw in early May. Um, over one and a half million people on some type of COVID-related unemployment benefits. So massive job losses as the economy was shut down. And the point, the point is that when you get that sort of collapse in employment, you would expect the income tax take to fall off the cliff. 
But in fact, in the first eight months of the year, income tax was down by just 1.4%. So virtually flat. Why is that? Well, it's because there's a large segment of the working population that has actually continued to do very well during the lockdown and post-lockdown. So I'm talking about those in the multinational sector, those in financial services, those working in the public sector. Okay, and they are the higher paid workers in the economy and they are the ones because of our very progressive tax system that pay most of the income tax. Whereas the real pain was felt in retail, um, tourism areas, accommodation, food services and so on. Um, Workers there tend to be relatively low paid uh, because of our progressive tax system. They don't pay much in the way of income tax. So as a consequence of that you know those that pay most of the income tax in the country are still doing well and and, and that does obviously um bode well for economic recovery over the next 12 months but having said that you know there is that part of the economy the tourism areas accommodation food services and also elements of retail where a lot of pain is still being felt and that really is where the focus of attention needs to be very strongly from our policymakers. So, you know, I argued before it didn't happen in July, um, and I will be arguing again ahead of the budget on the 13th of October that we need to see targeted tax cuts in parts of the economy that are in serious trouble at the moment. So I would like to see a 5% VAT rate for the tourism sector. Yeah, and uh, on that, Jim, um, while the tax revenue may be good, the expenditure by the government is way out of kilter with what they'd planned. And as you mentioned, the budget is coming up. What kind of budget do you think they're actually really thinking about? Okay, um, in the first eight months of the year, we borrowed nine and a half billion euro, and that's roughly nine billion greater than the same period last year. That dramatic increase of nine billion in borrowing was not because tax revenues have declined very much. They're down slightly in overall terms. So the tax base is holding up well. But obviously, the real pressure on the public finances has come on the expenditure side. And we saw in the first eight months of the year, government spending was up by 28%, which is dramatic. But it's obvious where that's coming from. It's increased spending on health as we try to deal with COVID. And it's also more particularly... Um, the social welfare expenditure um, that the government is, you know, the the, the pandemic unemployment payments and so on. So um, I would say that uh, back in July, the Minister of Finance was suggesting that the deficit this year could be as high as 30 billion. In fact, I think it's likely to be less than 25 billion. A big number, but not as bad as it could have been because tax revenues are holding up remarkably well. So the budget in October, um, in in many ways, I think it will be a bit of a non-event because what we've seen since March is effectively a series of mini budgets. You know, we got the initial stimulus in March, then we got the July stimulus. October will just be a continuation of that. You know, basically, it will be the government dealing with the economic circumstances that prevail, you know, in early October. So that's why I would say they will be looking at more targeted measures to try and help those parts of the economy that are still in serious difficulty. And as as I say, um, I would like to see, I can't guarantee it, obviously, but I would like to see 
um, a reduction in the VAT rate for the hospitality. Um, hospitality sector. Absolutely. I think that is required. And for a city like Kilkenny, you know, where tourism is so important, um, that would be a major boost. So it's stuff like that, I believe we're going to see in the budget. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think it'll be a tremendously exciting budget because uh, there a are bit of a relief. limits <laughs> limits in terms of what they can do, you know. Finally and briefly, Jim, Brexit, um, it's going to be a bit of a white knuckle ride over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, l- l- last year's budget was described as a Brexit budget um, and effectively I think the October budget this year should also be described as a Brexit budget with COVID-19 obviously superimposed. Uh, the Brexit situation, the mood music is absolutely dreadful. You know, we um, and even prior to the events of the last three or four days uh, with the UK government now trying to renege on parts of the withdrawal agreement, um, the, the more music even before that was awful, but I still felt that underneath the surface there was stuff going on that could eventually lead to some sort of compromise. But what has happened this week, I think, seriously increases the risk of um, Britain crashing out of the transition mechanism on the 31st of December and World Trade Organization trade tariffs applying thereafter. So I'm not saying definite because this is politics, and as you know, politics is always about the art of compromise and um, we may see something but the risks of a crash out are very very real at this stage and I think if Irish businesses haven't focused on that to date they really do need to focus on it now because we've got to recognise there is um, a a large rump of the Tory party in government um, and with Dominic Cummins definitely pushing this agenda aggressively that wants a crash out. Mm. Um, I think from a UK perspective, it's nuts. Um, and from an EU and an Irish perspective, it's it's obviously going to be very damaging. Uh, but, you know, you've got to face the reality that this is what people like Dominic Cummins, who is the tail wagging the Boris dog, really wants. Thanks very much, Jim. That's uh, Jim Power, economist, giving his us his views on the current economic situation and good to hear him think uh, that we're not as bad as we could be although many challenges lying ahead and we can't underestimate those or we can't underestimate the challenges that many many businesses are going through at the moment at the heart of it all at the heart of it all KCLR you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. As we've discussed many times on this programme over the last six months or so during COVID, the hospitality and tourism sector has been particularly hard hit with the total lockdown followed by reopening under vastly changed circumstances. With hotel businesses trying to return to some sort of normal, maximising protection for staff and guests is the highest priority in a busy hotel where the possibilities for infection are many, from key cards to switches on lifts, door handles, menus to name just a few. Hygiene and cleanliness, always a high priority, has never been more important. During the week I visited the Pembroke Hotel in Kilkenny where a huge amount of work has gone into developing and adapting solutions to the challenges posed by social distancing and the imperative to reduce the possibility of infection left on surfaces. At the Pembroke they're aiming to conduct business in as contactless a way as possible and they're using using technology 
to do so. I had a good look at the experience and to see what it's like for a guest arriving at the hotel. I went through the full process of booking, checking in and going to a room after arrival. And it was certainly different from what you would have been used to in the pre-COVID days. My booking was confirmed by email. The email contained detailed instructions as to what I'd expect and the COVID protocols in operation at the hotel. I was then sent an easy to follow link which allowed me to download a special app which when activated by the hotel on my arrival served as my virtual key throughout my stay. Something which enabled me to uh, uh, progress through the hotel without touching many surfaces. I went through the full check-in experience on my arrival where they had managed to completely change the way the whole hotel check-in works. I wasn't required to fill in any forms, take a key card or indeed touch any surface. It was all contactless. The app on my phone became my key to gain access to many areas of the hotel. After my check-in, I left reception to go to my room. Here's how I got on. Okay, so I'm going to set off to my room, uh, which is on the third floor of the Pembroke. I'm joined by Paul Broderick, who is going to take me along, and I'm going to see the new technology that's been installed on the elevators and in the rooms. Okay, Paul, let's go. Great, John. So basically, your phone is now your key. So when you make it to the elevator, we have these new gesture controls. So you can just wave your hand in front of that. Okay. So Paul has just waved uh, his hand in front of the elevator. There's a small uh, plastic box mounted on the wall with a, with a hand icon, and it's shown us to the lift. So we're now getting into the lift, and I am, I am going to take out and use my key uh, app. It's telling me I'm looking for room 317. I press the green bit, put it in front of the thing, and you may have heard that. The room is now bringing me to the third floor, so I don't have to press any buttons in the elevator at all so I've yeah. done that myself uh, very handy how are how are people adapting to the new technology great yeah it was a bit slow at first people didn't really understand we had expected everybody to have the app downloaded to come in and go I want the mobile app let's do this and actually it was about 10% at the start for the first month so it's been slow but then it started to pick up yeah and so we're, we've just uh, seamlessly come out of the lift haven't touched anything heading for room 317 that's room 310 we're going to take a turn to our right and we're just uh, down Paul, um, at this time of the day uh, a lot of people coming in and out is it much of a difficulty in in managing the flow of people through the hotel or people adapting to that? Yeah, it's much easier now because we have, everything is pre-booked and pre-organised so pre-registered arrival means it's a simple check-in, we actually check people out automatically as well, so an email is is sent automatically to their email so they don't have to come and have a lengthy checkout process um, breakfast times are booked in advance so everything is more organised Okay, so we've just arrived outside room 317 I'm just going to press the green key icon again on my phone, putting it in front of the door handle and hey presto, it's opened and I'm inside, wow, lovely bright room I'm just going to go over towards the uh, window, draw back the curtain well that's a gr- oh, that's a really great view of Kilkenny Castle coming up there um, that, before we talk about the technology in the rooms, that must be uh, that takes people's breath away, it's yeah. a really unrivaled view of Kilkenny Castle these are spectacular rooms, these are castle view rooms um, we have uh, 12 of these and 
as you said there's nowhere like views like it's just amazing absolutely now um less about the view and now a bit about the technology and and the reality of covid one of the things about hotel rooms is that they have to be turned over often on a, a daily basis or even on a, a twice over the weekend uh, bed clothes changed and so on and so forth what have you had to do to change the design of the rooms the layout of the rooms and your work practices just tell us what work you did on the rooms themselves during uh, the lockdown um, the work uh, specifically on the rooms is we've put new carpets into a lot of the bedrooms and we replaced all the headboards. We used to have fabric headboards which are actually quite hard to clean um, in, in, in this current environment so it's now this new um, timber panel which is just a, it's wiped clean. Um, outside of that some of the rooms got some new chairs, some new curtains. Um, that's kind of it. We, we actually had a, a good preventative maintenance program and we've been always working on the rooms so we didn't have too much to do. And we always liked a, a clean, crisp room anyway, so we never had fussy cushions or throws on the beds because we always like to click clean, crisp white linen. We're always worried about what cushions like that might have from previous guests, and it's, impo- it's impossible to keep them clean. So our rooms were, were already really, really clean. Yeah, now, uh, people would be used uh, in staying in hotels to seeing, uh, you know, trolleys overflowing with bedclothes and so on. I haven't seen any trace of something like that. Presumably, you've had to really uh, look at how you uh, refresh rooms and how your housekeeping staff operate. That was probably one of our biggest wins. We tried to figure out how to do this, and we, we came up with a this clean box concept. So, each room now has a has its own box of linen, toiletries, everything that is all uh, made in a controlled room um, and they're stacked in a controlled room as well. So no more linen trolleys. When housekeepers cleaning a room, they go in. We have a dirty person that goes in that takes out all the dirty items and then we have a clean person that goes in with the clean box and cleans the room. Has it added a lot of extra time to the amount uh, of time it takes to turn over a room? Um, on average, it's taken about 10 minutes longer to do rooms, um, but we feel with the new system, actually, we can start bringing that back once we kind of get it a bit more lean. We're, we're working on that at the moment. Um, and like These boxes can be, can be made throughout the day with various people who can come in and do it in, the, in clean, controlled environments. So overall, I think once we get used to it, it'll be okay. We're now in statums where all meals are served to guests. Um, presumably, Paul, the whole dining experience has also had to undergo a very thorough review. Tell us about how, how dining works for guests in hotels now um firstly we there's a social distance um charter that has come out we're lucky that we've put two meters between all our tables so that helps um we've got high ceilings and natural ventilation so we're it's really safe environment for customers to come so then people just book a a slot there's no time limit because we have the two meter social distance um and there is a nine euro minimum spend for food so for breakfast, for example, it's not just a case of rocking up everybody at like 9.30 in the morning. No, you have, di- you have different times. Yeah, we book your slot, yes. Yeah, so that's it. Reception, look after that. Um, and people book a slot on the pre-arrival survey. Yeah, yeah. So at our table here, I see uh, a QR code. Uh, it says contactless ordering. How does that work? So if you have an iPhone, you just bring on the camera from your phone, um, show it in front of the, the QR code at the table, and it automatically takes you to the ordering app where you can pay for it or charge it to your room at that time. Okay. Um, so I've got my iPhone. I just put it on the camera, is it? That's it. You yeah. just put your camera up against it. Okay. A link will um, pop up. 
from Safari or your yeah. browser. Open table path in Safari. That's it. Yeah, and opens up. It does, and it just gives me uh, fruit scones, dessert pot. So the, the yeah, menu on so my basically phone. whatever time of the day um, will indicate the menu that you're available. So at the minute it's kind of cafe style, and this. Uh, the table that we're at currently that QR code links to this table so when you put that through and you pay for it the kitchen automatically get a, a printed order the bar get an order so the bar can drop your drinks and then the runner the food runner can drop your food to this table and it's all paid and done paid and done paid as well paid and done absolutely so yep. that links in with your reservation yeah, it's all and linking so together and it says Statums 15 just above the uh, table yep. so that's for table 15 and this week we've just launched our online ordering app as well so on our website there's actually a link where you can you can, you can order from your office um, and that's really handy for any of the local businesses who may want to pre-order or don't have much time they can pre-order pay for it select their time for collection or if they want to sit in they can have it pre-ordered and sit in and have the food on site here okay so you can actually zip through your phone and the food can be ready just about when you arrive or yeah. shortly after that's it technology uh, is really bringing out or COVID is bringing it the best out in technology in your business I get the sense it is. Technology has always been a, a kind of a critical success factor for us. Like we've, we've, um, like our, our even staff joke about how much technology we have. Like we've apps and technology for everything. But it's, we just believe in lean, and that's true technology. You can do that. So yeah. So it's not necessary to download an app for the ordering. You just put your phone in yep. front of the QR code, and that's Bob's it. your uncle links you through to the menu, yep. which then links back to the uh, links back to the kitchen. That's it. It's all seamless. I'm joined uh, by John Ryan, who's the proprietor of the Pembroke. John, finally, I used your uh, facilities here, uh, the the gents, and you have a very innovative locking mechanism in relation to the door. Because, of course, we've been talking about touch points uh, and so on, and doors uh, in and out of public conveniences are touch points. What have you done with those, tell us? Um, We've used... um a lot of thought really into looking at the problem and uh, given that we had so much success in eliminating touch points elsewhere I felt that was the weakness and put a lot of time into reversing the operation of a door closer Um, and um, we had to trial a few different ways of doing that and we we ran into a few little obstacles and people telling us go back but we kept going we're kind of resolved enough to keep going and we solved those problems so it's working really well now that you you can elbow to push the door to close and you simply use your elbow to unlo- to release it and stand back and it opens automatically. But you don't have to touch a lock either. The no, door either locks time, automatically. No. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and where is the, the, the machinery to do this? Because the door doesn't look much different. Can't tell you. Oh, it's a trade secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, John Ryan, master of mystery. It's 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 actually very simple. It's it's a, it's it's well used technology, but used in a slightly different way. John, um, I've been very impressed. I've been throughout the hotel, and we've been talking about the challenges posed by by COVID. The hotel has really adapted very well and used technology to do so. Tell us about that in your process. You've obviously had to invest a lot of money in it. I think we probably have had to just initially adjust our mindset that we were locked down we uh, and i suppose initially we were locked down and mostly we were at home apart from a couple of people here just keeping things ticking over and securing the building and and that kind of stuff but at a very early stage uh, myself and paul had a chat and we looked at what we were doing and things we had planned to do in the future and 
various things we we wanted to improve and um, we we really got our minds into the situation that actually this is an unreal opportunity to reinvent what we do because we're shut down unusually we have no customers so we had several weeks to actually just concentrate on the business and reimagine it and look at where we'd like to be going forward and, and dealing with this pandemic and hopefully this will get started and hopefully nobody's going to be worried about COVID-19 soon but nonetheless I think our attitudes to touching things our attitudes to hygiene cleanliness are, are going to stay with us for a while and, and we had a good reputation on for cleanliness so we felt that's where we can make a difference for ourselves is to drive on. We talked about the ordering process we talked about the booking in process and so on but you've also invested considerably in a new kitchen uh, which is highly linked in technological uh, wise, but um, also a very much a, a kind of a new food philosophy or a strengthening of your food philosophy. Tell us about that. Yeah, we we, we put a lot of work into the kitchen last year, and and you know. Er- <laughs> March, I was wondering uh, why I'd spent all that money and wouldn't it be nice to have it now? <laughs> but really, um, it, it's, it saved us and it's made us in terms of giving us opportunities to, to work safely in there, to have really high standards of hygiene and, and cleaning. Simple, it's, it's, it's uh, seamless. Um, but the, Paul has been driving on with our chefs, food concepts, and something that's right for us as a hotel, as a boutique hotel in, in the middle of Kilkenny. So the, the concept that we've gone for is farm to fork and working closely with suppliers, trusted suppliers. And um, that's kind of energized the kitchen as well, because, you know, once they know the suppliers and they know there's a pride in the product and I think that's a real driving force is that consistency is one thing but the pride to keep it consistent every day and you kind of referred to the the shock of COVID and so on um we're in the midst of it now numbers are climbing but the show is going on how are you feeling about the future I think we feel this might sound a bit stupid but I think we feel positive and lucky because you know something really bad has happened and and I've been long enough around to see bad things happen before and and the future and the look is in it how do you react to it so we've brought forward things that we might have been doing next year the year after we've done them now so you know we're we're in a good place as a business we still have massive risks like in terms of the whole COVID as the whole country has Uh, I think we're well placed we've You've got a great committed team that understand the importance of social distancing between themselves and segregating our teams. So I suppose in relative terms, we feel as we should be as a small boutique hotel that we've positioned ourselves as well as we could be. John Ryan there, uh, the proprietor of the Pembroke Hotel in Kilkenny. And thanks to John, Paul Broderick, Grace and everyone on the Pembroke team who rolled out the red carpet for me earlier in the week. And it was very impressive to see how they've adapted in the face of the unprecedented COVID challenges. The heart of two counties. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on the bottom line, the programme for and about business. It's about 18 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Now, uh, during the week, I saw research from the Drinks Industry Group of Ireland 
which said that three-fifths of Irish consumers believe publicans will act responsibly and ensure public health measures are enforced correctly when reopening. It's been a long road for many pubs. Um, We've had pubs with uh, food service open for some time, but the so-called wet pubs have really faced a struggle and are in a battle for survival, but finally have a date for reopening later this month. Parik Cribben, uh, the Chief Executive of Vintners Federation of Ireland, joins me on the line. Parik, um, can you give us any sense of the numbers of pubs that still remain closed in Kilkenny and Carlow? Hey, good morning, John. We reckon in uh, between uh, Carlow and Kilkenny, there's still somewhere between 160 and 180 pubs uh, still not open. Uh, that's, you know, uh, 180 families, family businesses, about 1,000 employees, and, and also quite a number of communities that have been uh, deprived of meeting places uh, and people who have been deprived of the opportunity to socialise in the way that they normally would. Yeah, and um, the the challenge has been great and and probably making it even worse is uh, the fact that there have been a couple of false starts. Like we were given dates for the reopening of pubs, then it was postponed and postponed again. That puts real pressure on a business. Well, it it does that, number one, because there were a number of occasions when... um, uh, publicans had stock bought in, uh, but also it puts severe mental pressure on people because uh, if we look back on the last number of months, uh, there has been significant um, financial pressure, but also mental pressure from the point of view of will we, won't we, we're ready to go, and then the rug is pulled from under us. And, and that creates its own challenges for people that, uh, you know, is, is, is sometimes not recognised by government and those in power. Yeah, and I heard, um, I heard uh, a, a member of your organisation actually, his voice cracking with emotion, um, and he wasn't just talking about the money he was losing, he was talking about the history and the tradition of the business and the fact that it was a family business. It's really tough. Well, you know, a lot of publicans are second, third, and indeed fourth generation publicans. It has been handed down from, from generation to generation. It's, it's almost in the blood. Uh, and, you know, uh, these people are, you know, they're business people first and foremost, but they're also members of the community that they're, they're operating within. And a lot of their customers are, are indeed uh, friends and neighbours as well as customers. And it is uh, very trying on them. Uh, in in the current circumstances, and then you they have got to face the same challenges as everybody else has in terms of looking after their own families, etc. And and uh, it, it's really hard for people to understand the, the 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 serious challenges that have been there in the last number of months. Yeah, and uh, you have a date, the twenty first, when people are opening. A lot of work uh, to be done between now and then. What kind of work are people doing? Well, there's, there's certain elements to the work. There's, there's the, the, the physical elements insofar as getting the, um, uh, the, the, the premises ready, and that may be around reconfiguring seating and all that kind of thing. And then there is the other area that people don't see. I mean, part of the um, reopening guidelines, all staff have got to be trained. You've got to make sure that you've got uh, the proper sanitization in place, uh, the proper uh, PPE in place. And then it's the procedures that people are not uh, accustomed to, like, for example, uh, the contact uh, details for um, contact tracing. You've got to have a a telephone number for everybody who comes in or if if it's a group, one of the group. So it's it's um, there's a lot of work to be done between now and uh, Monday week. But I have no doubt 
that the publicans in Carlow, Kilkenny, and in the rest of the country, they, they'll they'll rise to the challenge. I mean, they've they've done it before. Uh, they have been inventive over the last decade in meeting the challenges. Then this is a different type of challenge. But uh, and certainly we will be assisting in 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 terms of the signage that they require, in terms of putting in place procedures to help them to uh, to comply. And the vast vast majority will comply as they have done since uh, June 29th for those open doing food. Yeah. Now I can't remember the exact date when the first postponement of the reopening of pubs uh, took place, but I do remember that the case numbers uh, were indeed very low. But yesterday the case numbers were 211 cases, which were much higher than back in July or even at the start of August. How confident are you about the September 21st reopening, that it will actually work this time? I'm confident it, it, it will happen. We were always of the belief that all pubs should have been allowed open at the same time with the same guidelines. Uh, back then, uh, which was actually in on the 29th of June or in the, in the run-up to the 29th of June, uh, th- th- we were told that the numbers were... Uh, too high at that stage to risk opening that horrible term that they use, wet pubs. I, I don't ever want to hear that term again. A pub is a pub is a pub. Uh, and at that stage, the numbers were, you know, around the 20 per day. Uh, we know where the numbers are today. The one thing that I have decided many, many moons ago to throw, throw out is to rely on logic because uh, logic and governments sometimes don't go hand in hand. Do you think it was a mistake to divide pubs into pubs with food and pubs oh, an, with an so-called wet mistake, pubs? John. Yes, an absolute mistake. Uh, it, it, it was, it was, and, and uh, uh, we made that point at the time. Uh, it, I, I described it as as a government imposed apartheid of pubs. Uh, I, I would still, uh, I would still stick with that definition. There was never a case that uh, could be made reasonably for what for what was done by government at that point in time. And I think they're proving it now by saying you open on, on September 21st in the circumstances that are there. Uh, businesses should be, we said at the time, give us the guidelines, put the sanctions in place. If people are not matching the guidelines, impose the sanctions, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it should have been. Yeah, now, the pubs that are reopening, uh, hopefully on Monday week, are reopening into a vastly changed world. When they closed, the government was introducing employment subsidies, rates were being waived, uh, there was a freeze on mortgages. All that's coming to an end about a week after uh, the pubs reopen. What's the impact going to be, and is there any hope, do you think, of special support for pubs? You were pretty disappointed and even called the last package, I think it was a slap in the face. Yeah, well, uh, it was dismal, uh, is about the only way you could describe it. Uh, you have to bear in mind that uh, these these pubs that will open uh, in um, on Monday week, uh, they will have been closed for about 12 weeks longer than the pubs that opened on June 29th, somewhere between 10 and 12 weeks. They got exactly the same as the businesses in Kildare got who were closed for four weeks. Uh, for an additional four weeks, which is totally unacceptable. And you're right. I mean, the businesses, and not just pubs, I mean, all businesses that open on June 29th, they've had the advantage of trading for uh, uh, 10-12 weeks with uh, no rates, uh, with the the, um, the mortgages uh, put to one side, and indeed with a higher level of employment support. 
and we have we we did meet government during the week and we made it very clear that similar type of opportunities need to be put in place for the businesses that are going to open on Monday week uh, from the point of view of equity from the point of view of fairness and from the point of view of giving them a fighting chance of survival. Porrick, we've got to leave it there. That's Porrick Cribben, who's uh, the Chief Executive of Vintners Federation of Ireland. And best wishes, Porrick, to all your members in this area, both those who are open at the moment and those who are preparing to open on Monday, September 21st. That was Porrick Cribben, uh, Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. At the heart of it all, KCLR. Uh, Just... uh, Eight minutes away from 10 o'clock, John Purcell with you on the bottom line. Now, we've spoken many times on this programme about the huge part that the food sector, in all its many guises, plays in the life of everybody in Carlo and Kilkenny. Firstly, I suppose we all eat and drink, and what we eat and drink makes a huge difference to our quality of life, our health, and our general well-being. And of course, there's the economic impact from food producers to restaurants, from farms to local agribusiness giant Glambia, the food and drink sector is literally worth hundreds of millions to our local economy and is responsible for providing livelihoods to tens of thousands of people in this local area. So here at KCLR, we're delighted to be teaming up with Carlo and Kilkenny County Councils and their local enterprise offices for Taste Local, a campaign where over the coming weeks we'll be looking at all the reasons why people should taste local. And we'll be talking on the bottom line to many producers and indeed pioneers involved in the local food sector we're really looking forward to that. Earlier in the week, the Taste Local campaign was launched in Carlow and Kilkenny and first to Kilkenny, where I was delighted to meet some of the people behind the campaign. First, I spoke to Deirdre Dunn of Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office and I asked her to tell me what Taste Kilkenny is all about. Hi John, thanks very much. Um, So yeah, the Taste Kilkenny campaign... Uh, we're kicking it off again today here, so it's basically to highlight all local food producers, cafes, restaurants within Kilkenny City and County. And how we're doing that is an eight-week campaign. Um, we're collaborating with Carlow County Council, and we're visiting different locations around the county so we can actually highlight them in person, it, within live on the spot, I suppose. A huge industry across Carlow and Kilkenny, but an industry that's very much challenged by COVID, but also one that has a lot of opportunities, because if people uh, appreciate local food producers and food industry, it can make the big difference. Yeah, definitely, John. I think even now, COVID more than that has highlighted how much people are loving their food again. They're going back to food and going back to actually you know, kind of be more inquisitive what they're actually putting into their food. So you've seen the local markets here today as well, every Thursday and Saturday in Kilkenny, and even the neighbourhood or the neighbour food uh, out in Callan and, and different locations around the county as well. These are really highlighting local producers and it's, it's you know, it's organic, everything is healthy. It's, it's the way kind of society is turning, I think, to food now. So it's really important to highlight that as well. Andrew McGuinness, Chairman of Kilkenny County Council. Uh, a very, we mentioned there about the importance to the local economy. It's culturally important as well, but Kilkenny County Council really sees the whole food sector as central to the development of Kilkenny. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's absolutely right because we get, we get so much from our local producers and I have to commend Deirdre and her team for the effort and work that they've put into this, but also to the local producers, our uh, restaurants and coffee shops. This initiative couldn't have come uh, at a better time in terms of supporting them in a time of crisis. Um, a lot of places have been closed down for so long and are trying, to, trying their best to get back on their feet. So I think this initiative is really positive for both Carlo and Kilkenny uh, and I hope to see over the next eight weeks 
makes a huge improvement for our local producers and our restaurants and, and uh, coffee shops. Cormac Fisi from the Hibernian in Kilkenny. Uh, we're, we're heading into the shoulder season uh, in the tourism and hospitality sector. Uh, this is going to be a challenging one unlike any other. It's really essential that businesses such as yours get local support. Yes, that's 100% certain. I mean, this time is going to be like nothing else we've ever seen before in for the hospitality industry across the board. And it's going to be especially for smaller restaurants and um, places like ourselves. We've got a huge mountain to climb to survive it, really. And it's, it's very important that if people can, that they do come out. There's been a monumental effort across the board to kind of make it as safe as possible for people. And we put all the precautions in place. So, you know, if, if people can come out and support us, we kind of need you more now than ever. Uh, that was uh, Cormac Vesey from the Hibernian uh, who was speaking at the launch of Taste Kilkenny during the week and on the same day uh, as the Kilkenny launch the Fairy Garden in the Woodford Dolman Hotel in Carlo was the location for Taste in Carlo which is the Carlo uh, leg I suppose of the campaign and uh, we were at that and we spoke to the chairperson of Carlo Tourism Michael Walsh who explains how there are plenty of options for food and drink from high quality local producers. Michael Balch, chairperson of uh, Carlo Tourism. Yeah, Carlo has plenty to offer um, from the likes of the food producers we have locally and the drink producers we have locally, um, right through to the restaurants, um, the bars, uh, hotels. There's uh, plenty of options for, for people to eat around the county, um, especially if you're on a day trip down, down to Carlo. It's, it's, it's a super like um, in all the, all the towns all, all over the county. Uh, we've got plenty of offerings in cafes and, 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 and bars and restaurants. And I think it's important that we do shop local and, and, and spend locally ourselves as, as people of Carol and also anyone that we have coming to visit us or to see us we should also encourage them to shop locally as well and if they're here for dead come in and eat in our restaurants and eat in our bars and, and hotels right throughout the county we have plenty of offerings you know if you even you take a, a walk from Carlow down to Milford on the river and um, stop off for a while have a picnic maybe and then head on down to, to Lockner Bridge you could call into the operation there for, for example for, for a nice lunch and or, or a cup of coffee and then um, if you're feeling really healthy all down to Bagnus Town and, and further on to Boris if you're if you're a good walker so and there's plenty of options in Boris as well then with, with, with the Post Hotel as well. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's great. There's, there's super options. And then we also have like the likes of Mount Leinster, which is great too for, for, for heading out for, for, a day, for a day's walking or a day's hiking. We have a lot of good producers in Carlow, both food and drink. Um, like you have the Carlow Farmers Market every, every Saturday morning, which you can see all the all the good food that's available there. Um, the likes of Malone's uh, Fruit Farm, you have Ceres um, Bakery there. There are two uh, very, very good producers of food locally. Um, O'Hara's um, beer is very good. The likes of um, Walsh Whiskey, another, another good producer so there's plenty and there's, there's lots in the county here uh, there are a few that I can come to my head now at the moment but uh, you know it, it is really good and they feed into, into all the hotels and like ourselves in the Seven Oaks Hotel they feed into us and, and the Dolman Hotel here and the, and the Talbot Hotel but yeah they're, they're, we, we use some of their products uh, as much as we can where possible to try and put them on the menu and, and get, get their name out there too people, local people should should shop local, should go out to the local restaurants, the local coffee shops, the cafes, the bars in the evening time and uh, spend their money locally. I mean, if we can spend our money locally, we can keep our jobs locally and keep everyone employed here in, in the county. That's uh, Michael Walsh, chairperson of Carlo Tourism, telling us about Taste in Carlo. So watch out for Taste Carlo and Taste uh, Kilkenny coming up on Casey Law over the coming weeks.
KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie